0: Welcome to this special edition of the Finsight Podcast. You're listening to another episode of Finding Balance, a special edition of Finsight, Baker McKenzie's Global Financial Institutions Industry Podcast. My name is Yingyi Liu, and I'm a Principal in the Financial Services Group at Baker McKenzie, based in Singapore. My practice focuses on regulatory and compliance issues with a special interest in fintech. Our episode today focuses on financial sponsors, private equity, credit funds, asset management, and sovereign wealth funds. This is the third in our series of briefings where we discuss how COVID-19 will affect financial institutions and its impact on current industry trends. Over the next few months, we'll be covering the impact of COVID-19 on various sectors and addressing the key trends that we are seeing across financial institutions. Please bear in mind that these represent our current views based on hypotheses that may change in a rapidly developing situation. No doubt they are and will be other perspectives. In this special edition, we've asked ourselves how the future really looks for financial institutions, particularly financial sponsors, and what the medium and longer-term impact of COVID-19 will be for this sector. Joining us today is Michael Feeweger, a partner at Baker McKenzie's Chicago office.
1: Thanks, Yingyi. Um, It's really great to be here. Uh, You said, said, this is Mike Feweger. I'm a partner in the Chicago office and the head of our North American private equity practice. Uh, I've been with the firm for over 20 years, and during that time, spend my time primarily working with private equity funds on their investing activity, um, but also do some work with other financial sponsors, including sovereign wealth funds, on their investing both as limited partners, co-investors, and direct investors in assets around the world.
0: That's a great introduction, Mike. Now, we've seen the COVID-19 pandemic affect many industries, including financial institutions. With regards to financial sponsors, how do you think private equity in particular has weathered the COVID-19 crisis so far?
1: I think that financial sponsors have shown considerable resilience during the pandemic. I think initially there was a a focus on portfolio company triage, determining which portfolio companies would be most affected by the pandemic, um, giving attention to them, uh, drawing down lines of credit, uh, accessing additional cash, and in the process, in the process, um, you know, shoring up the portfolio for the uncertain times ahead. I think that since the initial phase, most have turned their attention back to investing and looking for opportunities. They've adapted their approach to deal making and for the new realities of travel restrictions, government lockdowns, inability to get on site and meet people day to day um but the activity is picking back up and i think significantly here in the fall um clearly however there are sectors of the market you know retail obviously hospitality luxury goods energy healthcare services office and real retail real estate which continue to suffer and managers investing in these segments primarily are going to have kind of a slow road to recovery. Questions remain as to how much support private equity funds will need to provide to their portfolio companies, with those in the most affected sectors of the economy having incurred significant losses in the lockdown. And now as the economy seeks to recover lost ground, private equity has not been a recipient of government assistance for the most part with many government programs like the PPP here in the US. Um, looking to private equity to continue to fund cash needs in their portfolio as opposed to turning to the government. Um, despite these issues, though, there are considerable opportunities for financial sponsors as economies move forward, hopefully to recovery and renewal. Um, first and foremost, there is considerable amount of dry powder available to private equity and credit funds to invest, the question being one of timing and identifying the best opportunities.
0: Thanks, Mike. And a couple of questions from me there. First, if you could tell us about asset management in general, how do you think asset management has weathered the COVID-19 crisis?
1: Thank you, Inge. As Although the asset management industry suffered a downturn in March 2020 with outflows of funds, as the market um, return, re- recovered, investors returned over the second quarter replacing about a third of the outflows in mutual funds and exchange traded funds. And as markets have continued to recover and, in some cases, hitting all-time highs, much of the money that exited the markets has been put back into investments and, and is continuing to grow at levels that we saw before the pandemic hit. Um, I think that investment fund managers are now at, risk of lower return on investments because they still continue to face volatility in the markets. Um, But we do believe that kind of the run on investment funds um, with liquidity requests and redemption requests have been largely slowed. Um, There are certainly segments of the market such as open-end real estate funds where gates remain up uh, and redemptions are being held back. But we do see business getting back to normal for much of the asset management industry.
0: Mike, earlier you mentioned private equity funds having a considerable amount of dry powder to invest. Could you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Sure, Yingyi. There's significant liquid wealth, cash or its equivalent, that can be invested. Globally, it's estimated that private equity alone has over $1.5 trillion of unused committed capital to invest in companies that require equity and debt financing. However, there remains a disconnect in the market. There are still few assets available to acquire, due in part to the concern of sellers that the market is not stabilized and the difficulty engaging targets in on given the ongoing restrictions on travel. While many fund managers are looking for distressed opportunities, we haven't seen a massive increase in bankruptcies and solvencies generating those opportunities. It doesn't mean they aren't coming, just that it hasn't generated a huge amount of investment activity at this time. That said, a number of sponsors, particularly in the higher end of the market, have been quite active seeking to put money to work in a down market. Some transactions like pipe transactions and other structured capital investments continue to draw the attention of sponsors who would traditionally look to take control positions.
0: That's really interesting. So it sounds like there are some sponsors who've been quite active, but it seems like there's some still sitting on liquid cash. And what about You know, credit markets. Could you give us some updates on that? And how about fundraising?
1: Credit markets have rebounded. In the spring, we saw few new loan facilities being provided as lenders had to tend to existing credits and credit funds could find better returns trading in outstanding debt. This has changed, and the leverage finance is quite available in the market on terms almost as good as before the pandemic. We've seen a significant return of leverage recap market with interest rates near all-time lows and governments providing significant liquidity in the markets. On the fundraising front, while some funds, particularly credit and tech-focused funds, have continued to raise funds without difficulty, there is evidence that many funds are now taking longer to reach their fundraising targets. Many managers are also being forced to retain underperforming portfolio companies until they are better placed to maximize returns, which may affect their ability to raise new funds. I think in this light, we're seeing an uptick. In general, partner-led secondary transactions to provide liquidity and allow managers time to tend to the liquidation of their existing portfolio.
0: Thanks, Mike. Now let's talk a little bit more about liquidity and redemptions. Can you walk us through some of the current risks for asset management and pension funds? Do we expect any volatility in the market? Well, the
1: asset management and pension funds continue to face the risk of significant impact on the value of the funds they manage and the resulting income from falling asset prices. While this is not necessarily the case with public equities, segments of the stock market and some non-liquid asset classes are still feeling the effects of the pandemic. Since substantial falls on the financial markets in March, When some asset managers of property funds looked as if they might become distressed sellers, markets have stabilized for the moment and rallied, particularly in the United States. But it remains possible that further volatility will be seen as markets continue to react to the progress of COVID-19 and its effect on the economy, especially over what type of recovery we'll eventually see. Investors in open-ended funds may seek to redeem the whole or part of their holdings and therefore careful management of the liquidity risks that come with large outflows of funds will continue to be needed to avoid um, forced sale of assets. Even prior to the pandemic, The issue of liquidity stress testing for funds was gaining importance with regulators internationally, following the approach set out in the International Organization of Securities Commissioners Principles of Liquidity Risk Management for Collective Investment Schemes. Concerns over illiquid funds in current volatile markets has provided added impetus. Regulators have publicly supported the gating of redemptions when it's in the interest of investors in any event, have said they expect managers to use the full range of liquidity management tools, including gates, deferred redemptions, swing pricing, um, which may be available to them to try to manage the effects of volatile markets and volatile asset prices.
0: Moving on to the next question, how well-placed do you think are non-bank institutions to take market share from banks?
1: we continue to view debt markets as tilting toward non-bank lenders, and this is a trend that's been going on for many years now. I think banks are, I think, in a better position than they were in 2008 as far as their capitalization is concerned, particularly in the U.S., but they're still quite anxious to protect balance sheets during a recession and will be unable to match the speed and flexibility of alternative lenders and credit funds. Moreover, uh, in the post-financial crisis world, banking re- regulation has continued to limit banks' access to leverage finance markets. Debt funds don't operate under the same restrictions and with the same capital requirements as regulated banks, and as such are in a position to continue to grow their share of the sh- as shadow banking is not regulated as a quasi-utility. I think that overall we're going to continue to see a shift toward non bank lending. Um, it will be interesting to see, however, whether more regulation is put in place over these markets as many suspect um, increasingly competitive lending among credit funds has i think caused a a situation in the market both before the pandemic and what we're starting to see again today where there are you know, low covenant or no covenant loans, uh, other things that may affect overall credit quality. And it will be interesting to see how this plays out, particularly if the pandemic um, continues to provide a drag on the economies around the world.
0: That's very interesting. I now want to turn to ESG, which is still a priority among financial institutions despite the pandemic. Is it fair to say that the pandemic is giving added impetus to ESG trends in the sector?
1: Yes, Yingli, I think about 30% of the assets under management are now ESG-principled investments, and this figure is only going to rise. I think people are quite aware in this post-pandemic world of the need to focus on issues um, related to ESG, certainly around our environment and climate change issues, around issues related to public services and public health care, education, equality issues. All of these issues remain in the post-pandemic world or during our pandemic world. And I think investors are very focused on ESG as a part of their investing pillar. I think a good example is the EC's action plan on sustainable finance um, affecting organizations that either manage or advise on regulated investments. E-regulations aim to reduce kind of greenwashing through better classification of environmental impact investments in corporates and and introducing new duties of disclosure to investors. So as asset managers, I think that um, you're going to have changes in investment policies, not only to be compliant, but I also think a big plus of some of these activities are giving more data and information to asset managers to understand the ESG impacts of their investments. Um private equity side of the table certainly also facing increasing um, commercial and competitive pressure to prefer sustainable investments. I think it's fair to say private equity probably trailed other sectors of the asset management world in their adoption of e s g and taking e s g matters into account when investing however you know e s g terms are key requirement of many large limited partners. Increasingly, I think limited partners negotiate ESG reporting requirements into the investment documents and actively question managers on their ESG programs, both when they're investing as limited partners, but also while they're sitting on advisory boards. Um, In addition, I think the listing of many top fund managers that you'll see caused them to be exposed to public company requirements with respect to ESG matters. And that's kind of hastened the inclusion of ESG in the investment and government process in the private equity world. Um, Private equity sponsors are increasingly sponsoring impact funds to focus on investments that create social or environmental impacts. These funds often base their approach on voluntary UN Supported principles for responsible investments. And there are many advisors growing up in the market now building you know, metrics for the measurement of social and environmental impact of these funds that are being adopted, um, not only by fund managers, but also limited partners as well. I think it's fair to say that asset managers in Europe have embraced ESG to a greater extent than their brethren in the U.S. and Asia-Pacific. Going against the trend, the U.S. Department of Labor, of course, wants pension administrators to take into account ESG factors only if they are material economic considerations under generally accepted investment theories. Though to be fair, this has met significant industry opposition. It's also going to be interesting to see whether this position will change if we see a change in administration in the U.S. this fall.
0: Another trend that we've been following is increasing regulatory scrutiny. What are your thoughts
1: on this? The crisis and change nearly always brings regulatory scrutiny in its wake. In Some quarters shadow banking has always been controversial. I think after 2008, the financial crisis, the new Financial Stability Board led measures to increase reporting obligations and regulate alternative investment funds. Although the sector and particularly private equity, remains largely unregulating compared to our traditional banking um sector yeah, prior to the pandemic, it was thought unlikely that this scrutiny would lead to increased regulation in many jurisdictions. but this could change if there's a wave of default the defaults or um that posed systemic risks on the financial sector um you know for example, in India, we've seen. Some significant defaults to date in China, um, where there's a degree of interrelationship between the funds, the companies and the banks, you know, overall pressure caused by the much larger segment of the, um, of the lending, uh, market that is operated by credit funds and other non-regulated or or lightly regulated lenders um I think could invite scrutiny, in particularly if we start to see impacts in the form of significant defaults or restrictions on the availability of credit. Um, I think you know in the EU uh there may be future um controls on alternative lenders. These could extend further reporting requirements, restrictions on leverage. Uh, European authorities reviewing the uh, AFMD have identified a range of what they view as possible improvements, uh, including further tightening of leverage rules. Other important changes would introduce a framework for loan origination, further steps on liquidity management. These would have significant impacts on how much private equity and alternative funds can invest in the structure's use. Um, this may further strengthen the U.S. advantage with respect to, um you know, U.S. based funds, although I will say, you know, while the EU tends to be, um, a more of a leader on kind of the private fund regulatory standpoint, we do think that in the U.S., um, if we start to see these type of changes made in the EU, that you can imagine, uh, the SEC in the U.S. looking to, to adopt some similar, um, some similar improvements so to speak and I think you know the regulators today around the world are much more coordinated in their efforts to regulate the um asset management and private fund ish- industry than they ever have been before as far as um financial institutions generally the trend toward requiring those organizations to act in clients best interest over and above strict contractual obligations yeah, is only going to continue and has certainly received added impetus from the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, For example, for funds in the retail fund sector, the need for improved transparency over investment strategies or mandates, the issue of um closet trackers, governance, and charges will only grow in importance. Tax change is also something I think we need to to keep an eye on. Um, it's very high on the Democrats' agenda here in the us to uh, in particular attack the carried interest, you know the capital gains treatment of carried interest. I suspect if we see Democrats take control of the uh, the Congress and the White House that we would expect to see some legislation on that front in the coming years.
0: Turning now to new technologies, we've seen COVID-19's impact on banks. Do you see any changes for financial sponsors?
1: Well, part of the impact is where asset managers are putting their funds. So, public markets have been carried by tech stocks, particularly as people see how integral technology is to the way we work in the pandemic. Um, Private equity has also made significant investments in the technology space. Large players like Avista or Silver Lake or Toma Bravo are raising huge funds to focus on mature tech companies, particularly those operating in the kind of the cloud based subscription segments of the market. Um, AI and other technological solutions also continue to drive investment decision making, particularly the use of big data in trading and analytics. We even see it ourselves as legal services providers with keen interest from our private equity clients and the technology tools we're using to more efficiently manage transactions and identify risks. So it's clearly an area that is is central to the market these days as it's central to our economy.
0: Thank you very much, Mike, for your insightful comments on this area. Now, I asked Jonathan in the first special edition if he has any other thoughts to close that episode. Oh, I put you on the spot now. Do you happen to have any predictions for the future? Sure, um I,
1: I think I, we're pretty cautiously optimistic, I'll say, about where private markets, the private equity markets, and the asset management industry is heading right now. Um, we feel that there has been a bit of a turn of the corner. um uh, the participants are learning to operate in this new environment and overall values, asset values are starting to stabilize. Uh There is certainly a question as to the quote unquote shape of the recovery. But overall, I do think that um the, you know, the private equity markets and the asset management markets more generally are still in a very good position. To you know to get through the pandemic and to emerge on the other side you know stronger and more able to to operate nimbly in the markets in which they invest and I think that that there will be lessons learned out of all of this around um, what is critical in investing uh, and where the economy will go after even after we're um after the pandemic is behind us. So I you know, we're not out of the woods yet, as they say, and I there is still probably still gonna be a fairly long drag on the back end with respect to um private equity markets, um a little less so on the public markets. Um, But we are, as you said, cautiously optimistic that um, the markets will return and return stronger than they were before the pandemic.
0: Thank you so much, Mike. Well, thank you, Inyu.
1: It's really been a pleasure um, to speak with you and with everyone today.
0: And thanks to everyone for joining this edition of Finsight Finding Balance Series. We hope that you found this conversation helpful. Please do look at the company briefing, which is available on BakerMcKinsey.com. Do watch out for the next edition in the series on COVID-19 and the insurance sector. If you found this podcast helpful, you may be interested to know that Bacon McKinsey has produced a series of podcasts in relation to the theme of resilience, recovery and renewal in light of the COVID-19 crisis. My name is Yeni Liu and thank you for listening. We hope that you can join us for the next edition of Insights.